I've always enjoyed listening to scary stories. Not like ghost stories or Dracula stuff, but stories about real things that actually went down. Scary stories about hairy situations. From HairyStories.com and STGB, I'm Matt G, and this is Harry. People got, got killed out there every night. Somebody was getting killed out there. And uh, my buddies, the night owls, the sister Air Force Squadron, lost 11 crews out of their squadron in night combat. That's 22 guys killed dead out of that squadron, just including their commander and their operations officer during the year that I was at his That was the voice of retired U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Luke Graves. He was talking about a squadron of fighter pilots 100% dedicated to night combat. Flying fighters is a dangerous business, even in peacetime. Flying fighters in combat at night over northern Laos was as hairy as it gets. We're going to continue our mission from episode 1 here in a minute. First I want to dig into the reality of the guys that did this day in and day out. Or should I say night in and night out. Fighter pilots are an interesting breed. I like the way the legendary triple ace Robin Olds put it when he said, quote, Fighter pilot is an attitude. It is cockiness, aggressiveness, self-confidence, and a streak of rebelliousness. I've never actually met a fighter pilot who didn't display these characteristics, along with some other features including a penchant for storytelling and good booze. Colonel Graves is no exception. His stories really start to kick in on a second drink. We're sitting in his living room in Texas. He's sipping a Jack Daniels with a small splash of water and smoking a Corona Deluxe cigar. Despite his 85 years, he's animated and standing up, vigorously demonstrating formation flying with his hands to illustrate the planes. I think he might have just shot down his watch. That's another thing about pilots. They all come with mock airplanes attached to the end of their arms. Anyway, it's time to get back to our mission. From the last episode, you'll remember that we have a flight of three F-4 Phantoms assigned to hit a target on the border of Vietnam and northern Laos. Because of storms, their 11 a.m. departure kept getting bumped, so it became a night mission. Killer Flight of Three finally took off and had to penetrate a big line of thunderstorms to get to the refueling tanker. But the tanker had moved back so they had to fly again through the same line of dangerous thunderstorms to get back to the tanker. During refueling, the tanker flew into a thunderstorm, and Killer Lead called a lost wingman maneuver before regrouping and finally getting their gas. To get back to the target, they once again had to fly through the thunderstorm. So now, put us together and trail again. And what have we got to do? We've got to go back to the goddamn line of thunderstorms, which I was so sick of. And so here we go, heading towards our target. And uh, now it's time to contact Moonbeam. Moonbeam is the airborne command post. There's an extension of Blue Chip, which is the Saigon where they run the air war from, from Saigon. 
Moonbeam coordinates everything in the combat area. And so, Moonbeam, Moonbeam, this is Killer Lead uh, requesting my numbers. And they come back with, and Moonbeam comes back and says, okay, Killer, he advised there's extremely bad weather in the area of your target, uh, extremely heavy anti-aircraft fire in that general area, and several flights that have been in there, including the night owls, have uh, taken hits. So I'm thinking, oh, what the hell? You know, why are you telling me this, Moonbeam? You just want me to die all ten stuff, right? <laughs> so anyway, we get our words, and now it's on to the target. target was um, at a place called a bird's head and from the air in the daylight this little river there it just looked like the shape of a bird's head when you look at it from you know like 15,000 feet or something and we had names for all those you know landmark places and it's very near a place called Medea Pass which is the border between North Vietnam and Northern Laos and um, this area is, is very heavily defended by um, as many as 200 anti-aircraft batteries. When I say the 3757 uh, radar-controlled quad-mounted anti-aircraft batteries, some of them are controlled by uh, Russian fire directors. And so uh, it was about the best air defense in the world other than in Mother Russia at the time. So that's what we're up against. To provide some context, the Magia Pass was the principal point of entry to the Ho Chi Minh Trail. The Ho Chi Minh Trail was the supply route between the Viet Cong in the south and the North Vietnamese army. It was basically the lifeline of VC troops fighting in the south, and therefore heavily defended by anti-aircraft artillery and surface-to-air missiles. Surface-to-air missiles, or SAMs, were radio-controlled guided missiles. Or as one pilot put it, they were mindless robots the size of telephone poles guided by skilled Soviet operators trying to kill you. So, I'm heading up there, guiding thunderstorms, and great God Almighty, my target seemingly is surrounded by thunderstorms. So how the hell are we going to get in there? So I just messed around for a while and said, you know, will this ever be over with? So uh, I said, okay, I'm going to find me a hole and get in there and get my bombs on that target and get the hell out of there. So found this hole, and uh, in we went, got through it, got over the target. And uh, I was just amazed at the amount of lightning that was going on. Uh, it was just flicking constantly, flick flick and you could see you could see everything you could see each other and the gunners could see us and so they cut loose and there was a volume of fire like i've never seen i thought man we ever get out of this and so we we spaced out uh 
good hang will dive. Uh, we got our bombs on our target. And so as they came off, it was like I was in this giant cauldron. Uh, and it, uh, it came across my mind. I'll never forget it. Like, uh, there was an Edgar Allan Poe, uh, horror story called The Sentence to the Maelstrom. And I thought, God, this is sort of like a giant thing. Um, like we we're going down into a volcano, like, 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 so I could not find a way out of there. And so in just desperation, I just took us down and said, we're going down. I put them in a radar trail again. And I went down to about 2,000 feet into a valley, paralleling this long ridge line, which was, you know, two or 3,000 feet above us at night. And um, so the area we were in, you know, the Carson Mountains go up nine, ten thousand 10,000 feet, but the targets are at sea level. And there's no navigational aids up there, so big danger you have at night is running into a mountain. There are certain times when Colonel Graves gets so into the mission, he can barely tell I'm here. His head is now flying below a range of mountains in the dark at night. Of all the dangers of thunderstorms, anti-aircraft fire, and surface-to-air missiles, you can see that flying into a mountain is his worst fear. In northern Laos, these are actually karst formations. Unlike mountains, a karst is basically a huge vertical wall of rock shooting up into the sky. During my research, I came across a great book by retired Lieutenant Colonel Ed Colby, who also flew combat missions in northern Laos out of Wolf Pack. His book is called War for the Hell of It, and it's an Amazon bestseller and a great read. Colonel Colby's squadron was called Satan's Angels, and they were specialized in night combat. He was nice enough to take my call and let me ask him about the experience. Hello, Colonel Colby? Yeah. So thanks for taking the time uh, to chat with me. And uh, as mentioned before, I'm a huge fan of your book. Um, War for the Hell of It, and I've, I've been reading that and reading all about uh, some of the missions that you were on, specifically some of the missions over over northern Laos when you were flying out of, out of Ubon. And uh, yeah, I wanted to hear a little bit more about the experience of, of, of night combat, what it, what it was like, what were the dangers, and you know, what was the, what was the biggest challenge for you guys uh, during this time? Yeah, it's, you know, obviously flying at night is a whole different set of skills and different challenges than flying in the daytime. Uh, there's two things that you really had to be careful of. One is called spatial disorientation. We always abbreviate that as spatial D, which means your your inner ear is in conflict with what your eyes are seeing, and you can't uh, figure out which way is up. Uh, that spatial disorientation uh, it can cause you to fly out of the sky and into the world if you're not careful. And you see that happen all the time. The um, Kobe Bryant crash in L.A. is uh, undoubtedly a call, caused by spatial disorientation in clouds. So while you're flying at night, particularly on moonless nights or nights when there's an overcast or clouds, you have no visual reference as to which way is up and which way is down. That, that was the first challenge. The second challenge, is, as you said, is the mountainous uh, terrain in, uh, along the non mountains in Laos. And from the air, it looks kind of like a crumpled bedspread. The, 
valleys run every which way and the mountains are up and down and they tend to be very steep. And then they sprinkle through there is these karst formations, which are eroded uh, limestone cliffs. Uh, picture Monument Valley in Arizona and you kind of got the idea. So you might have a, a relatively level set of terrain and then, then jutting up right in the middle of it is a karst, which obviously you can't see at night. The idea of avoiding spatial disorientation and knowing where the mountains are relative to your altitude was was the primary challenges. And when and when you were when you guys were flying in your squadron, um, when when you lost guys, was it mostly from from hitting mountains, or was it from getting shot down, or? Well, see, the thing, is, particularly at night, nobody knows. Um, one of the advantages of flying at night is that you can see the anti-aircraft fire because um, the, the bad guys use tracer bullets. About every seventh bullet was a tracer. Oftentimes, when you lost somebody, it was they just didn't come back. I mean, you, uh, sometimes you could see the crash. I did. Uh, sometimes you can't. You just lose your wingman, and you know that's it. He's you know you can't get him on the radio, and and you have no idea what happened. Yeah, I was reading in the first, right at the beginning of your book, uh, when you lost your wingman, and uh, was that? Did, did you guys think that he hit hit a karst, or do you do you still not know what happened? That's what I suspect. I don't know. Uh, we didn't see any ground fire, uh, you know, during the mission, uh, but you just don't know. There's just no way to. At this point. I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm talking to a decorated war veteran about the death of his friend. His wingman and the backseater who disappeared with him were young men in the prime of their lives. They had parents and loved ones and aspirations for the future. All of this snuffed out in an instant over the jungles of northern Laos. Colonel Colby's description of the dangers of these missions is very clear and professional. You can almost forget how terrifying it must have been. Imagine yourself driving down a dark highway at speed at night with your lights out. You can't see anything at all and have to rely on your knowledge of the road to keep from running off of it. Every few miles, there's a brick wall in one of the lanes. You can't see it until it's too late. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention, there's people on the side of the highway shooting at you. It's time to complete our mission with Colonel Graves. Killer Flight of Three dove through a hole in a thunderstorm to hit a heavily protected target. This is the part where they're supposed to pull up and haul ass out of there. But they couldn't because of the quote, goddamn thunderstorm. So they went down instead, into the dark highway with no lights and people shooting at them. And, and I was going visual because of the lightning strikes. And uh, flick, flick, I could see where I was going. And uh, the only alternative we had would be if it quit lightning, where we couldn't see, then we just have to pull directly up into the thunderstorm, okay? So, but I just stayed with it, and sure enough, I... I don't know how many miles, it seemed like eternity, 
I got out of there at low level. I got out on from underneath and pulled up. And boy, I mean, I almost had the shakes there. I was really enervated. I was thirsty. It was just killing me. I was dying of thirst. And I had to take a pee. And, um, you know, we've been out two hours now, at least, in all this stuff. And so I just slowed down. And we got into a 360. And said, uh, go four ducks, which means go 2.2, 222 where you go talk to one another and nobody's listening and said, okay, guys, let's try to relax here. And uh, I pulled out my flask and drank a pint of water. And I got my piddle pack and I took a pee. And I was trying to settle my nerves down. And I said, okay, all right, let's get the hell out of here. We're going back to Ubon and go to the bar. And so I, uh, as we got closer, I decided to call Wolfpack, which is our command center. And um, said, Wolfpack, uh, you know, it's Killer We're 100 miles north, um, coming into RTB, we need to turn to base. And they said, uh, Roger Killer League, realize there's a big thunderstorm over the base at this time. Uh, we have driving rain and uh, uh, winds up to 60 knots, crosswind, and the field is closed. So we want you to go back to the cherry anchor and uh, refuel and hold until further notice. And I thought, what? You know, like, Jesus Christ. You know, will this never end? Will this root canal or mission ever end? And my backseater at the time was uh, Paul Dombrowski. He was a lieutenant. He became a senior colonel. And uh, Paul has been pretty quiet through this thing. And I said, Paul, I'm tired of this shit. We're going to Udorn. I can see Udorn over there. We're going to go over and land at Udorn. The hell with it. I'm tired of this stuff. So he says, you got it. So he's flying it from the back seat, and I just sat there. And just was, uh, I must have, I lost at least, I must have sweated at least five pounds out on that mission. And uh, I was kind of at my ropes in. And so um, we just moseyed over to Udorn and went in there and landed and went through the army and pulled into the uh, chocks. And I got out and they brought a ladder, of course, and I'm going down the ladder. And when my feet hit the ground, I got the shakes. My legs started shaking. So I just hung on the ladder there. And Paul was kind of looking at me. He got out of the back seat. I said, Paul, I got the shakes. My legs are shaking. And he says, you'll be all right, buck up, you know, and so on. <laughs> I thought, well, you're doing pretty well yourself, Paul. <laughs> and so finally, it, it, I got over it a little bit, and I said, okay, we're going to the bar. So the other two crews came up, and we got on the crew bus, and they took us. I said, after we got through debriefing, which is very, we weren't from there, so we didn't have much to debrief, so. We went to the bar in a big fighter bar at Uban, at Udorn, okay? So we come walking in, and the place must have had at least 100 pilots in there. And it was stone quiet. Nobody was saying nothing. Everybody was kind of staring out in space. And so I went up to the bar and said, okay, bar, and I told the boys, boys, I'm buying you a drink. And um, so I got a... Uh, 
I got myself a double jack. As I looked over to them, both of them put their hands around their drink and were shaking so hard that they couldn't, they had to put both hands around their drink. They were shaking to get it up to their lips. They were so shaken and enervated by this damn mission. <laughs> and so um, that's how that ended. By this point of the interview, I'm hanging on every word, and I don't want this crazy story to end. I asked Colonel Graves to summarize the hairiness of this particular mission. Why was this uh, mission, Why, when we talked about this podcast, I said I wanted something really hairy, and you, uh, you chose to tell me about this mission. Why did, why did you pick this mission? Well, there were three things. It started out as a day mission with a four, a 4 p.m. takeoff and was delayed 11 hours because of the bad weather in the entire theater, which was perturbating throughout the whole theater, and, uh, which got worse, and the slipping turned this into a night mission, which we were not prepared for and hadn't briefed for. We didn't have flares, for example, and that sort of thing. The strain, the buildup, the strain was heavy, and we knew the mission that now had become senseless. Yet we had to go anyway. That's a classic thing of the Vietnam War. Secondly, getting to the tanker was a nightmare. By moving the three tanker tracks into one small area, uh, with all the bad weather, it made for a very dangerous situation with all the other, other fighters coming in there as well. That's the only time I ever saw that. Uh, our tanker taking us into a thunderstorm, resulting in a lost wingman situation. <laughs> hey, that was a once-in-a-lifetime thriller, let me tell you. Okay. Finally, uh, while over the target in the worst damn weather I've ever seen, I couldn't see a way out. And, and to remain under such heavy fire we were taking just wasn't an option. I had to do something. I made a split-second decision to go down the volcano and fly out of the mountain, below the mountains at night, probably the most dangerous damn thing I've ever done. I probably had to stay down there. We had to go at least 20 miles on the deck, getting out, and uh, but I did. And uh, after regaining our poise, which took an effort since we were really rattled, and uh, then we realized that they wanted us to go back into that tanker cluster foxtrot. Uh, I figured we had filled our bravery square for the night. And so I just took us safely to Udorn. My trip to Texas to speak with Colonel Graves was well worth the fare. He invited me to stay for dinner and grilled up some steaks paired with a good bottle of red. He showed me his gun collection and the Randall knife he carried with him on all of his combat missions. You can see a great picture of this knife and of him on the ramp at Ubon just after his last combat sortie on our website www.harrystories.com. When pitching Colonel Graves on this podcast, I told him it wouldn't be about questions of conscience or about the experiences of the guys they were fighting, but with a bit of liquid courage. I threw out the question anyway. Uh, and 
what did you think? Did you ever did you ever think about the guys that you were killing on the ground? Uh, it would cross your mind. Uh, I, I I did a lot of iron hand missions, um, and those were we go out for the purpose of attacking anti aircraft batteries, and um, they were from very professional guys with uh, good weaponry. Were were trying to kill us, and we were trying to take them out. So it was kind of like a shootout at the OK Corral, you know, type of deal. And it was uh, fairly dangerous and uh, very exciting. But, uh, you know, so many of that, I guess the analogy I would give was like old Joe Fraser fighting uh, Muhammad Ali. Somebody asked me, you can actually go out and attack those aircraft sites while they're shooting at you. And like old Joe Fraser said, we've well, got to bring some to get some. And that was it. And we blew the hell out of them, and they shot quite a few of us down. And that was the name of that doom. None of the crews died on this hairy mission. I wish I could say the same about the story that follows. On the next episode of Harry. six-episode series by harrystories.com and stgb. 100% of donations to this podcast will go straight to the Air Warrior Courage Foundation, providing emergency financial assistance to veterans in need. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and write us a positive review. The theme music is Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata by L'Orchestre Cinematique. Cover art by Florence Denise. Special thanks to Ed Colby, and his great book, War for the Hell of It. Source material in this episode included Ambience Creepy Wind by Inspector. Thank you for listening to Harry.